0: Team that's going with us from Brookside, when I just say we would we would love it for you to pray for us during that trip. Um, So many things to pray for, but we would just invite you to to partner with us through your prayers that way. Uh, For those of you that are new to Brookside, the Hope Center at Zambia is this partnership we've been we've been deeply involved in now for about ten years. The two main pieces of that are orphan care where we just build into and value the orphans that are there, part of the Hope Center and the community, and then also pastor training. So, so this, uh, this time around, we'll be continuing with that orphan care, putting on some camps for the, for the orphans. We're taking some of the older orphans, actually, to the capital city of Lusaka, a place most of them have never been, and giving them a, re, a, a retreat experience in partnership with Pastor Jonathan's church in Lusaka, Fairview Baptist. So it's, so it's great to be doing that for the orphans. And then I know I'm know i jazzed about going and meeting the 21 pastors that'll be part of this pastor training that we're doing. So this is the first time I'll be meeting them. And then we'll just continue the partnership. They're there for three years, uh, a few times a year, just to get trained to be biblically faithful shepherds of their churches. And so it is such a joy for me to go every year that I'm able to go and see these men, they, they, these church leaders that travel hundreds of kilometers often to sit on picnic benches and listen to me talk at them for like seven hours a day. And so, so, so that commitment, uh, I know it challenges me every time I see it, but it is such a joy to see what God is doing to build his church in Zambia. So, so again, can't wait to, to go there and, and do that. And then also certainly looking forward to this morning as well, where we're going to be continuing uh, into week two of this deeply rooted series that we started last week. And so basically what we're doing in this series is we're we're walking slowly through the New Testament letter that Paul wrote to this church at a place called Colossae. We're looking at the book of Colossians and the driving kind of guiding verse or set of verses for this for this series, comes in chapter 2 of Colossians, kind of a theme verse, or a theme couple verses for the whole book, where, where Paul says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him. And so, so over the last few weeks, you have been talking a lot about going from, from here, right, life separated from God, life far from God, where God isn't really in the equation, going from here over to there, where God is at the center of our lives and we're trying to do life with God and for God and then experience everything that, 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 goes, that, that goes along with that life. And as, as we go from here to there, this deeply rooted series shows us what it looks like to live deeply rooted in the there So that way, just as we received Christ, we stay deeply rooted in Him. Where the best spot for us to be is never to move past Jesus or beyond Jesus, but the best place for us to be is always just to be moving more deeply into Jesus, rooted and built up in Him. So, so excited about that. And so as we get into things for today, let me start off with a question. Have you ever thought that you knew someone only to learn something about them. Maybe some new skill they've got, maybe some passion they have, something about who they are, their character, their identity. You learn something about them that totally blows your categories and changes how you think about them every day after that. I mean, we can all relate to this. I know this has happened to me. My wife Carrie and I, we met back in college, and for the first six months that we knew each other, we just hung out in the same group of friends a lot. And we got to know each other that way. So we did a lot of stuff going to see movies, going out to restaurants, just hanging around campus. And so started to get to know each other that way. And then a long time ago, we used to call it, we defined the relationship. And so then we started dating, right? And so so then we just spent more time together, getting to know each other better and better and better. And so my 19-year-old self thought that I knew Carrie pretty well. And so I remember how my whole world changed one day when we were talking about our plans for the weekend, and Carrie said that she couldn't do anything this upcoming weekend because she had this tournament to go to. And I'm like, tournament? What are you talking about? Is this something you're going to for somebody else? No, that wasn't the case. She told me that she was going to this tournament to qualify not for her first black belt, but for her second black belt in taekwondo. And so, like, nice, sweet little Carrie, like from small town Nebraska, is now ninja Carrie, who can beat me up. Right? And so totally unrelated to anything else, so in our first house, we used to live in Ralston, our first house had this coat closet that we were always in and out of. She had this bag of weapons from her Taekwondo time, like stacked in the back of this closet. So seriously, we had this long bag. It had a a, a sparring sword, a set of nunchucks, and then a bow staff. We could have armed three out of the four Ninja Turtles just with the stuff that was in our coat closet. Now. Carrie would say that she was just putting it in there to store it and keep it out of the way. But I knew that was her silent reminder to me every time I got in that coat closet, right, of what she could do, that I better take out the trash and everything else that she ever asked, that sort of thing. So let me bring us back to center, right? So, so, so learning that one thing about, Terry, about, about Carrie's Taekwondo, it opened up a whole new way of me seeing her. Learning that one thing about, about her tournament taught me a lot about her discipline, taught me a lot about her commitment, right, her resolve, the years that it took to build up to that point, and her passion. And so, so this one thing taught me how to relate to her better. Just one little insight into someone can open up a whole new way of you seeing them and moving forward with them. Well, today, I want to show you at least one more insight, maybe a lot more insights, into who Jesus is. For some of you here that have that been following Jesus for a while, so this stuff will be great reminders, but, but maybe you'll learn a new insight that you just, are like, I had not thought about that for a while. Always good stuff that, move, that the changes how we relate to Jesus moving forward. But some of you here that maybe don't know a lot about Jesus, this stuff will blow your categories about who Jesus is. You'll learn insights about Jesus that that open up a whole new way of of who he is and how you can relate to him well. So so if I had to put what I want for today in just a a, a quick phrase, I would say for, for me and for all of us here today, I want us just to say, let's never stop getting to know Jesus better. Right? Because if we don't value this and if we don't stay committed to this, we will think that we know everything there is to know about Jesus. For Some of you, maybe that's just like, I don't know a lot about Jesus, but but hey, isn't he just some first century guy that lived in the Middle East? If you think that's all there is to know about Jesus, there's a whole lot that you're missing out on. Or maybe you say, he's just a good teacher, and there's lots of good teachers out there. What separates Jesus from everyone else? If that's your view of Jesus, I would say you're missing out on a whole lot that I cannot wait to show you this morning. Or maybe you've been following Jesus for decades of your life. And, and even for us, Jesus can be someone that, that fits very comfortably into our lifestyle, right? Jesus becomes somebody that we that we control. Jesus becomes somebody that we compartmentalize. He's useful. <laughs> At times, but he's not our Lord. He fits nicely on Sundays, but that's about it. He's, he's a tool in the toolbox. But, but if you were honest, you'd say, you know what, but, but I think Jesus kind of revolves around me. Isn't there, isn't Jesus just there to bless what I'm doing? But, but on the flip side, when we see Jesus in all of his greatness, the way scripture presents him, the difference this makes is that certainly we put Jesus in his place, in his rightful place as the king of creation, the, the king of our lives we'll even see later today. But, but it also does something in us as well. Tim Keller is this guy that I quote all the time. He's a pastor. He was a pastor for a lot of years up in the New York area, an uh, author. He's kind of mentored me from a distance through his speaking and his writing. He says that it is impossible to meet the real Jesus and leave indifferent. You hear that? And so so if you think about Jesus and you're like, "Mm, meh, you know, then, then Tim Keller, and I think he's right, he would say, then you haven't met the real Jesus. When we see Jesus for who he is For all that he is. It's not just that we put him in his place, but we are transformed as well. We're changed from the inside out. And at at the most fundamental level, that means we just see Jesus is good and he is great. And he is worth our deepest consideration. He's worth following. And so so today we are all about just seeing Jesus clearly. Clearly. The premier passage for that in Colossians starts in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. In Colossians 1 verses 15 to 23, we see one of the clearest and strongest presentations of Jesus in just a few verses that we get anywhere in the Bible. I mean, if somebody's going to ask me, Tim, show me just in a few verses who Jesus is. Verses that pack a punch this would be on a list of about two or three passages that I would give to that individual just to see clearly and in a short space, here's who Jesus is, here's all that he is to us. And so, so I just want to read through this passage, so, so buckle up, we're going to read through this whole chunk, it's going to be like drinking through a fire hose. There's so much in it, but I want to put this in front of us just to hold the greatness of Jesus up for us. But as I read through this, I want you to be asking two questions in the back of your mind. The first question, the most important question is, what do these verses teach me about who Jesus is? We'll come back and we'll answer that, right? But what do these verses teach me about who Jesus is? And, then, and there's always the question, what does that mean for you? As I learn about Jesus, what might this mean for my life today? What might this mean for my life this week, this month, in this season, So here's Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and all things have been created for him. And then in the original Greek that Colossians was written in, Paul's language and his style shifts here. He goes from talking about Christ and Jesus to using the word you a lot. Where Paul applies all of this now to the Colossians and to us. So verse 21, we keep reading. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and don't move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, he says, have become a servant. So let's go back to that question we're asking. What what do these verses teach you about Jesus? In a word... This passage is all about Jesus' supremacy, his, his unsurpassing greatness. Hey, however big or good or strong you think Jesus is, this passage says, okay, take whatever you think that is and then blow it up times a million because whatever you think, Jesus is bigger, stronger, and better than our finite minds can even comprehend this passage is driving home the greatness of Jesus. It's, it's everywhere. So let me just try to organize things into four headings or categories for you. So, so we see Jesus' greatness displayed in the fact that Jesus shows us God. It's right there in verse 15 when it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That, that Greek word for image there, acone, just means that Jesus reflects and reveals God. And so, so, so if you're wondering what God is like, The Apostle Paul would say the best way for you to see what God is like is to learn everything you can about Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that Jesus is God. He's not created in the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. He's not a God. He's the God. He's not some human with superpowers, right? Going for the next Marvel movie, Jesus is fully divine, That's what it says in verse 19, where God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. And so you cannot get greater than that. That's how great Jesus is. And then the the greatness of Jesus jumps out again in the very next phrase where we see that Jesus is the king of creation. So we saw that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and then verse 15 continues, and it says that he's the firstborn over all creation. Now, I want to talk about that word firstborn for a minute because it can throw a lot of people for a loop. And it still throws people for a loop when they read that Jesus is the firstborn of creation. So hang with me while I talk through this because this is important. It doesn't mean that Jesus was the first created being, Right? The the early church actually wrestled through this in some very long, deep ways, all the way back in the fourth century. There was this theological cage match, basically, between two dudes, like Arius on one side, Athanasius is this other guy on the other side, and and, and they were kind of saying, what does this word firstborn mean? Is Jesus the first created being, or was he uncreated? Has he always existed as God? And so after deep, reflection on Scripture. This, this group that had gathered to hash this out came out and said, it is clear from Scripture that Jesus was never created. He's uncreated. As the second person of the Trinity, He has always existed. Eternity backwards, He has always existed as God. And so, so if Jesus wasn't the first created being, what does firstborn mean? Well, this word can also mean highest in rank and authority. And that's what it means here. Again, just because this is a really big deal, I I feel the weight of this. Let me throw out just one line of evidence to help make my case. So the psalmist, back in Psalm 89, verse 27, the psalmist is speaking for God. And look at what he says. He says, again, God is speaking here. I will appoint him, speaking of David, to be my firstborn. Same word, right? The most exalted of the kings of the earth. Now, now, if you know your Old Testament history, you know that David wasn't the firstborn in his family. He was actually the youngest of his brothers. And he wasn't the first king of Israel either. He came after this guy by the name of Saul. And so, what, what, is, what does the psalmist mean speaking for God when he says, David will be my firstborn? This second line clarifies it David is going to be the most exalted of the kings of the earth. And that's the same thing that firstborn means in Colossians 1. Jesus is the king, the most exalted king of creation. And so all of this is just driving home again and again the greatness of Jesus. This is who Jesus is today. This is who Jesus is right now. So so in the midst of everything else that's swirling around you in your life right now, right if you're a student, you've got finals coming up. All of us are like struggling to make ends meet and working with relational conflict over here and stuff like that over here, and work is big and relationships are big. We always feel like we never have enough time. In the midst of everything that is at the front of your mind right now, Jesus is King. That should be comforting to us. In the midst of everything that is pulling at your attention. Jesus has it. Jesus is good. Jesus is God, and he's king. Again, that should provide comfort and stability. It doesn't take away everything that still needs our attention over here. But, but man, if, if I know Jesus is king, and if, if my life is deeply rooted in him, then all of this other stuff won't uproot me. All of this other stuff won't overwhelm me or, take, or, or, or overtake me, right? It's still big. It still needs, still needs my best attention. But I always remember that Jesus is God. He, he's the king. He's the king of creation. Everything visible and invisible, everything was created by him. Colossians 1 says, In him, all things hold together. And so Jesus creates and Jesus sustains. This blows your mind if you think about it. Right now, in ways that we will never fully understand, Jesus is keeping the the planets orbiting around the sun. Right now, in ways that we will never understand, Jesus is keeping the earth spinning at a thousand miles an hour on its axis. Right now, in ways that we will never understand, Jesus is sustaining my breath your breath, and the seven billion, billion, billion atoms that are in each of our body, in each of our bodies. Now, now of course, this doesn't take away from science and, and everything we learn about how astronomy works and how our bodies work. God is good. He's created the world with design and order. But even as we learn everything we can about science and natural law, we still say, Jesus, somehow, In some way, as the king of creation, as the great sustainer, he's the one that holds everything together. And so this speaks volumes of Jesus' involvement in your life. Jesus doesn't create and back away. Jesus creates and he sustains. Whether you know it and acknowledge it right now or not, Jesus is sustaining you. It speaks volumes about our about his involvement in the world, and also about our dependence on him. That's the sort of king that Jesus is. Colossians 1.18, we see that Jesus is, is fully God. He's the king of creation. He's also the head of the church. Now, this is the easy one for us right here in this setting. This is, this is maybe straightforward, but I never want to overlook what we read in Scripture. Let's still just spend a minute talking about it. Right? Because we always need to keep in front of us that the church isn't just some social club. That the church isn't about any one human leader or their agenda. The church is the body of Christ. He is its head. We need to remember that. That means we don't get to invent what church looks like. Our job, our joyful task is to follow Jesus and join him in what he's doing. We follow the lead of our Lord. We stay faithful to Him. And then everything we do is for Him. Everything we do is for His glory. Not so any one person looks good. No. We do it so Jesus looks great. And then in His greatness, we find our greatest good. Those things work hand in hand as we follow Jesus. So everything we've been looking at so far, it just underlines and reinforces Jesus' greatness, right? How, how high and lifted up he is. But there's one more truth about Jesus in this passage that we can't miss. One that everything else we've seen doesn't quite prepare us for. And so Jesus is fully God. He's the king of creation. He's the head of the church. But Jesus is also the king on a cross. In the last few verses of this passage, we read that that if we're left to ourselves, we are alienated from God. That's why we can have everything else, but if we don't have God, we can still feel empty, uh, restless, maybe unsettled. That's what alienation from God feels like. This is talking about the effects of sin. When Colossians one talks about how we're enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. And then the good news about, or or, sorry, the bad news about sin's effects is is that we are all sinners. Scripture says this is all of us. And so what this means is that sin has fractured our relationship with God. Sin is what creates this, this separation between the here and the there we've been talking about. And sin affects our relationship with God. Sin affects our relationship with others. Sin affects our relationship with everything around us. The best illustration I have for this is a story from when I was growing up, probably four, fourth, fifth grade, something like that. And I was at a friend's house and we were shooting BB guns at his place uh, against metal targets. Now, shooting a BB gun at a metal target is never a good idea, especially when this friend had just gotten a brand new sliding glass door installed at their house like the week or so prior to that. And so, so thankfully, my friend whose house we were at, he was the one shooting a BB gun against a metal target. Again, did I say that's a stupid idea? And so, so we, he shot the BB gun. We heard it ricochet off the metal target. And before we saw what was happening, we could hear the crack. The brand new sliding glass door that had just been installed, the, the BB had hit that, one of the panes of glass on that sliding glass door, and we could see that spiderweb crack just expand while we were watching there. Now we were there, three of us, the friend whose house we were at and two others, my other friend whose house it wasn't and I, we took off (laughs) before we could see the rest of that spiderweb crack expand, right? We were out of there. We fled and left my friend to fend for himself. Uh, We did see him again, so he made it through, right? But, But that one BB created a fracture that, that spread throughout that whole pane of glass. It was shattered. It couldn't be used the way that it was designed. That's what sin is. Sin fractures everything around us. And, and the root of it, the, the BB, is us, is us resisting, neglecting and ignoring God. It's us resisting Jesus, dethroning him on the throne of our lives and putting ourselves or anything else in his rightful place. So it's in this situation when we are alienated from God, when we have been the ones to resist, when we've been the ones to rebel. It's in this situation, in the midst of our alienation, in the midst of this fractured universe, that Jesus takes the first step of initiative, comes to earth. And, and then Jesus does everything that is needed to accomplish reconciliation with God. He takes the first step, and he takes all the steps, dying for us on the cross, offering us, any of us, the chance to be made with right with God through faith in him. The king of creation is the king on the cross. This is all over the place in the passage we read. Let me just read a few of the verses again. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 22. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's Jesus' identity, fully God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Again, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is all over that. And what we learn about Jesus here in this passage sets Jesus apart from any other God that vies for our allegiance. Jesus, he, He's the king of the cross and the king of creation. This is the sort of Lord that invites our allegiance. This is the sort of God that invites our willing surrender, because a God like this, of course, he has our best interest, our best interests in mind. And so everything about Colossians 1. 15 to 23 underscores the greatness of Jesus just underlining it putting it in bold italicized font Jesus is bigger, greater, better than we think. We never stop wanting to get to know him better. And when we see who Jesus is, when we put Jesus in his place, his rightful place, you should be changed as well. Again, this should do something in you when we see these truths about Jesus in Colossians 1. So let's get to that so what question. Now that we have this clear picture of Jesus' greatness, what does that mean for you? One thing it means is that Jesus' greatness, it motivates your awe. What we've seen today should make our mouths drop open in wonder. Because the thing that we cannot miss is that everything we've seen about Jesus from Colossians 1, it is still as true today as it was when Paul wrote it in the first century, right? We can't just confine Jesus to Sunday mornings. Jesus' greatness, his goodness, it applies just as much now as we're reading this and talking about it as it does on Tuesday morning, as it does on Thursday afternoon, as it does on Saturday night when you can't sleep because you've got all that stuff you're worrying about for the, for the week that's coming up ahead of you. Right? I mean, Jesus' greatness means everything for how we live our lives every day. And so, so today we've seen the greatness of Jesus, but, but, but your homework, <laughs> I guess, is, now how do you stay focused on this? How do you make sure that that wasn't just a, yep, that was all right, yeah, we understand Colossians 1, Little bit better, but how do we get to the point? How do you get to the point where you're like, that has everything to do with the way that I live my life, the way that I treat my family, the way that I love my friends, the way that I live on campus? How do you how do you get to the point where Jesus' greatness trickles and influences into every area of your life? My prayer for myself and really for all of us for this morning has been that today wouldn't just be a let's learn some facts about Jesus day. I mean, that's part of it. This is truth from God's word, from the Bible that we've seen. But but I want us to get to a point as individuals, as a church, as everybody, where where we don't just say, but where we mean that Jesus is our greatest good. What he's done fills us with awe and wonder, and apart from Him, we have no good thing. Jesus' greatness, it also centers our orbit, is the way that I say it. So, back in the 16th century, this guy, Nicholas Copernicus, he, he challenged contemporary thinking of his day by saying that, that the sun isn't the, the one revolving on the earth, but instead the earth revolves around the sun. So he was changing what was central in people's mindsets about astronomy, right? And so, so of course we know that what he said now is true. It's true that the sun doesn't orbit around the earth. Instead, the earth does orbit around the sun. This was a paradigm shift huge in the Renaissance world of his day. Colossians 1 is that same sort of huge paradigm shift for us. Jesus doesn't revolve around you. He loves you. He cares for you, right? He's he died for the world. But Jesus doesn't revolve around you. We orbit around him. Only with Jesus at his rightful place as the center of our lives, on the throne of our lives, however you want to say it. Only with Jesus in his rightful place will we be in the right place to live as God designed us and to experience everything that that offers to us. So the question I have for you here is, does Jesus orbit around you? Or do you revolve around Jesus? And then Jesus' greatness, it also motivates our action. It drives our action. So it is clear from Colossians 1 that Jesus is king of everything. And it is clear from Colossians 1 what Jesus wants. He's reconciling all things to himself. And the best thing you can do when you learn what a good king wants is partner up, right? get in line with that same mission, join in that same mission. I love all the ways Brookside is already doing this, right? I mean, the the ways we're calling people to faith in Jesus, the ways we're celebrating baptism, everything we do here in the building on Sunday mornings, all all the ministry that goes on throughout the week in homes, the ways we're reaching into the city, the ways we're reaching around the globe with ministry, We do this because of who Jesus is. And so I just want us to say, let's keep at it, Brookside. Every one of you is important for advancing this mission. You are all needed to help push the ball down the field because you all have spheres of influence and areas you can can influence that nobody else has. So as we seek to say, Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. How do I get in line with that? every one of you is needed. These are the marching orders that Jesus himself gives us. The very end of the gospel of Matthew, some of his final words on earth. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples then and to us now. He says, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." So that's where Jesus just says everything we've seen in Colossians. He really does have all authority. He's the king, a good king. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore, because of who he is, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Who Jesus is, Jesus' greatness, it drives our action. So this morning we've seen who Jesus is. Maybe, maybe these are just some good insights, some good reminders for you, or maybe these are category-blowing headings for you. But for all of us, you remember how just, just a little more information about somebody can totally open up a new world for you? As we see who Jesus is and all of his greatness, I want that to open up this world for us, where we relate to Jesus well as the king of everything, as a good king of everything. And then I want to let that transform who you are, where it motivates your awe, it centers your orbit. Jesus is the center of your orbit, and then it drives your action. Let's pray. Jesus, we humbly acknowledge the truth we've seen from the Bible today. Jesus, you are God, you are the king of creation, you are the head of the church, and you're the king on the cross. Jesus, we thank you that you're also the king who overcame the cross, that on the third day you rose again and your victory over the cross is shown in you rising from the dead. Jesus, we thank you that everything we celebrated on Easter just a few weeks ago, we thank you that it is just as true today as it was a few weeks ago. Jesus, thank you that we serve you, a risen Lord. We thank you that everything that's true about you in Colossians 1 is true today, in the midst of our circumstances right now. So Jesus, my, my request for myself, for all of us, is that your identity would become so big and good and great to us that we would, that we would give you our best consideration, that we would follow you deeply, with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.